God has expectations for us. What are those expectations? And what happens if we fail to meet those expectations? I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pastor Podcast. Do you all remember the first day of school? Like at the end of summer, you go back to school and, and the whole year starts again. And you go into the classroom and you're sitting there and the teacher, the very first thing they say to you is, this is these are my expectations for you for this class. This is how I expect you to behave. This is how I, these are the assignments I'm going to expect you to accomplish. And even the, you know, beyond the first day of school, if you, you know, if you're in a school system that changed semesters and you changed classes and teachers it. At the end of a semester, start with a new one and start all over again. Hi, I'm Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. This is what I expect of you. And this is what I expect you to accomplish. Well, after my freshman year of high school, I realized that two people can play that game of having expectations. So I, I made a trip to go, you know, buy my school clothes for that year. And I went to this fancy store called Target. And I found this blue t-shirt. And on it was a printed sticker that says, Hello, my name is. Right? You've all seen the Hello, my name is sticker. You've got to wear them for, for work things before. But this shirt had one printed on it. And it already had a name in the Hello, my name is spot. It said, Hello, my name is Jack Squat. Do not expect too much. So I bought that for the first day of school. And every time I start a new semester or a new school year, from that point on, I wore that shirt. Because just as that teacher had expectations, I wanted them to know what to expect from me. Which is why I had to take chemistry and a couple other classes twice. <laughs> the Spanish teacher just gave up on me. I took something else. <laughs> but expectations. Expectations were important. Because expectations give us something to aim for, right? We, when, when we know that, that someone is expecting something from us, that gives a goal to work towards. Or it gives an understanding of how to behave when we're around them. Do you realize that God has expectations for us? As, as his followers, the people that call themselves by his name, do you realize that he has expectations for you and me? So as we continue our, our Lent series of Never Again, uh, this week we're going to be looking at the, this, this passage in Exodus and seeing that we never again have to wonder what God's expectations are for us. He very clearly defines us for us what His expectations are. Not just His people, but for all of humanity. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And this is how it reads. It says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations 
of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the, misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. These are God's expectations for us. And see, normally when, you know, in these sermons together each week, I, 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 I present you with a question, and then we, we go through the whole passage, and I give you an answer at the end. Well, today's question is, what are God's expectations for us? And you don't have to wait to the end to know what the answer is, because he's very clearly defined his expectations of us right here in Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are God's expectations for us as people. Matter of fact, if you follow these Ten Commandments, these are the basic requirements of what it means to be human. Those are God's expectations. And if you remember in, in the book of Matthew, when, they were, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to chip up Jesus, an expert in the law came to Jesus, right? And they said they, they, they tried to trap him by asking, well, well, Jesus, which of these expectations, which of the commandments is the most important for us to follow? And what was his answer? In Matthew 22, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then the second one was like, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then very fascinating, he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two. So that means whenever we read the Ten Commandments, just like we did, whenever we go through the book of the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, you know, the part where you fall asleep at the end, or fast forward through it because it's really boring, all of those laws hang on these two basic ones, love God and love others. It's that simple. Those are God's expectations of us. Let's kind of go through and talk about them a little bit. So the first, first thing I want you to notice when God gives these ten commandments, these ten expectations to Moses and the Israelites, notice what verse 1 says. It says, and God spoke these things. God doesn't say them to Moses and send Moses to the people to share, that, share it with them. God speaks to them himself. He doesn't use a third party to tell the world what his expectations are. God says it to all of them. Now, do they hear God in an audible voice? 
Do they hear? Do they hear God whispering in each and every one of their own hearts? I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us that. But we do know that God spoke all of these words to his people so they would know, these are my expectations for you. You will never again have to wonder what I expect of you. These are it. And, and else when God introduces it, he, he speaks all these words himself. And when he introduces who he is and his authority by it, he doesn't use, I am the Lord your God Almighty. And if you don't follow these, I'm going to send a lightning bolt to strike you down. God doesn't introduce himself or his law based on an element of fear. What does it say? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who sets you free from slavery. I am the God that loves you, and these are my expectations from you. And let's be honest, when we get expectations from someone we love, it changes things, doesn't it? It's one thing when I was in school and my teacher had expectations from me. But I didn't know them, they didn't know me, and I knew at the, the end of that 12-week that, that period, I was never going to see them again. Unless I failed the class and didn't take a second time. But even then, there were usually three teachers in that department, so I had a one in three chance. But the people that cared about me had expectations for me. That's an entirely different thing. My mom always jokes, the reason I was, I remained so good in school, but my, my dad passed away when I was 16. I didn't really rebel. Why? Because I knew not only did my mom have expectations of me, but I had grown up in the church where the men in the church had expectations of me too. So I knew if I got in trouble with the law or did something stupid, every guy in the church would have been lined up down the block, and it would have been a bad day for me. I, but I also knew they loved me. So those expectations were something that I think out of love, I sought to meet. When you love somebody, those expectations are tolerable. They're more than tolerable. They become a desire of your heart because that's how you demonstrate your love to them. So anyway, God speaks all these words and he speaks them as the God who loves them to let them know these are my expectations from you. And so the, the first three commandments here that God's going to share really are all based on this idea of, of loving God. That first of the greatest commandments that Jesus talks about, right? Love the Lord your God by your heart, soul, and mind. So the very first command is, in verse 3, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. God's telling the Israelites, I am the only God that you worship. Egypt may have all these statues. The eastern countries of this world, they may have their practices, but you do not follow them. You worship me, and you worship me alone. Contrary to popular belief, you cannot follow other gods, you cannot practice other religions, and worship the Lord your God at the same time. God right here in this first commandment says there is no mixing the worship of me with worshiping anything else. I'm above it all. I'm the God who, and when I say I'm God above it all, I'm the God who loves you and has rescued you from slavery. Worship nobody else but me. That seems pretty self-explanatory. If you want to love God, it makes sense. You're not going to worship something, some, some other deity, are you? You're going to worship him and worship him alone. The second one, verse 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself an idol 
And while we read this and we know that we're not supposed to take Play-Doh and make a monkey out of it and bow down and worship it, it goes much further than that. I was watching King Kong when I was writing a sermon last night, so that's what the idea of the monkey came from. <laughs> we, we understand that we're not supposed to make an image and worship it. But at the same time, that, that, that really there's another danger in the church and, and as the people of God. We can try and take God Almighty and fit Him into something and worship that instead of the true God. What I'm saying is we can, we can take methods of worship and worship the methods over worshiping God. We can take style of music and we can worship the style of music that's meant to point us to God and worship Him. We can worship that instead of worshiping God. Now, while we're on the topic of not having any images, I want you to look on the screen. There are two images up there. And this is kind of this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I feel like this is a very important part for us to stop and talk about. Okay? If you notice that there are two pictures, and neither of these pictures are Jesus. Neither one. Okay? The one on the left, I don't know who that is. It's some John Wayne type folk hero with long hair and blue eyes praying somewhere. That's cool, they're praying and being pious. But Jesus was not white. He most likely did not have long flowing hair, and he certainly was not tall, large, and handsome. He was a Jewish man. The average Jewish person is what, five, six? The Bible tells us that he was nothing special to look at. So I don't know who the person on the left is in that picture, but that is not Jesus. I'm actually very proud of you as a church because there are no pictures of white Jesus hanging anywhere in this building. Because if there was, your pastor would have taken them down with it. <laughs> and they would have mysteriously disappeared. Or been painted. <laughs> or been painted a different color. Painted, yeah, well, yeah, well we just got a different paint color. <laughs> That'd be fun. Never mind. Bad ideas. Wrong person to tell these ideas to John. Alright. Now, this, the second person. The person on the right, that is not only that is not even a religious person. Alright? For you older folks, this is very important for you to pay attention to. Okay? Very important. That is not Jesus. That is Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. Do not share this picture and saying, oh, I love Jesus. Because that's going around Facebook. Because if you share it, every single young person in this room, we will laugh and make fun of you. Most likely, we'll be too afraid to protect you, but we'll laugh about it. So do not share it and say, that is Jesus. That is Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. He is not Jesus. If a young person gives you a photo like this and tells you to hang it on your wall, they are playing a joke on you. Don't do it. You have been warned. All right? Again, like I said, that was kind of a rabbit trip. I felt like that was very important, okay, from things I have seen on social media. Uh, Things that keep your pastor awake at night. Alright. But this idea of not having any images, we're not supposed to tie God to an image. Our God is too big to be contained within anything. Our God is too big to be contained within the walls of this church. Yes, we gather here, we worship. Yes, this is a holy place. This is a sacred place where God has done amazing things. But this, without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without the presence of God, this building is nothing. 
You see, the Israelites, remember, they had this, the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? They would travel with the Israelites, and they would go before them, and, and, and you know, they used it to part the Jordan River as they entered the promise, and they would carry it with them in the battle, and it was a symbol of God's presence to them. But at some point in the history of their nation, they went from a, a symbol of God's presence to an idol that they worshipped. They viewed it as God. They worshipped it as the one true God, but they viewed it as God's presence, His physical presence there. And so what did God do? They lost it. The Ark of Covenant disappeared and to this day. We don't know where it is. And speaking of Star Wars, if you watch the Clone Wars series, you will see it being loaded onto a spaceship and sent someplace else. So we don't even know where the Ark of the Covenant is. It is gone. God removed it because they were worshipping something that was meant to point to him as him. God is not okay with us worshipping things that are meant to point to us towards him, as him. And when that happens, when that begins to happen in a, in, a, in a fellowship of believers or in God's people, what does God do? He removes them. Because if he removes them, then he can't worship them anymore. Continue on. Verse 3, or the third one, this is verse 7. He says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. There's a certain swear word, and that swear word is not God's last name. I don't know if you know that, but that's not his last name. That is, that is a small example of what it means to take God's name in vain. But this commandment goes much farther than that. You see, the Jews, they would make promises, or they would make business deals, and they would, they would do it in the name of God. But they, meanwhile, would be, would be doing it to conceal dishonest means and methods. Or they would use the name of God to manipulate people into getting them to do what they wanted. They would go to somebody and say, well, you know what God told me to tell you? God really didn't tell me anything, but they used that phrase because I knew if, someone, if God told someone to tell them something, then it must be important, and then I must follow what they say. But the problem is, God didn't really say it. They did. They just attached God's name to it to get to what they wanted. That's using God's name in vain. Take a step further. We call ourselves Christians and followers of God. Whenever we take that title upon ourselves and go about and live a life contrary to God's expectations, that is to take the name of God in vain. We're saying, I belong to the Almighty God who has saved me and rescued me from sin. But then we go and live a life that lives the complete opposite. That's taking God's name in vain. So, so those, these three commandments right here, these, these all of us all are pointing us to this idea of loving God. Love God. If you love God, you're not going to worship another God. You're not going to worship something you made in the place of God. And you're not going to take God's name and misuse it. Because you love Him. That's what it means to love God. Now these, these next few, or I guess this next one, this next one, while it does have an element of loving God, it also has another element in there. This next commandment is, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy.
We are supposed to take time out of our lives to worship God. We are supposed to make time in our, in our daily busy schedules and in our lives to, to, to devote a day to just relaxing in God's presence and to put our focus on Him and allow His Spirit to renew us and, and rejuvenate us to refill our cups so we can have the strength to face the next week. Now I want you to know something about this command. Yes, it tells us that God created everything in six days and on the seventh day he rested. But who is God? God is God Almighty, maker of everything. Scripture later on will tell us that he never faints or grows weary. So does God need to, after he got done creating in the very beginning, did he really need to stop and take a break? Was God just so wiped out and so exhausted that he couldn't do anymore? No. God does not take a break on the seventh day because he is tired. He takes a break as an example to you and me. You see, when we talk about the two greatest commandments that Jesus shares in answer to that expert of the law, where he says, love God, and then love others as you love yourself. You see, we, we pay very close attention to the love God part and the, and, and the love others part, but we ignore that last little bit of the verse. Because it says, love God, love others as you love yourself. God is telling us there is a healthy version of self-love. God took a break on the, Sabbath, on the seventh day to give an example to us to show us that it is important for your health, for your self-care, for you to love, for you loving yourself to take a break. Because your body wasn't designed to keep going nonstop all the time. Yes, you love God by taking that set day and setting apart and spending it with Him. But you also love yourself by not destroying yourself, pushing it needlessly. To not love yourself is to say, God made a mistake. We both know that God doesn't make mistakes. God made you the way you are because He loves you. And he, he, when He formed you in your mother's womb, He looked at this world, He looked at His creation, He says that my world needs this person. I remember when we were working as youth pastors, Menanga Haley, we had this one little kid, his name was Kyle. And Kyle was that little seventh grade ball of energy. Uh, rambunctious, full of life. You know, and he would come into youth group and instantly the, the atmosphere of the youth group would change because he was just so goofy and so strange. One week he showed up to youth group in a banana costume. We don't know why he's <coughs> And we would play games and he was so little that, that the older high school girls could pick him up and throw him through doors to try and get away from the youth pastor as they were playing the game. But there wasn't a person in that youth group that didn't love Kyle. Why? Because Kyle loved everybody. And at some point during our youth group time, I started a hashtag. And for these old people, there's a hashtag is something you use on social media to help people find pictures. Okay? And on that hashtag, it said, every youth group needs a Kyle. 
And I every week I would post a random picture of this pet named Kyle. Or something silly he did. But I really believe that every youth group needed a Kyle. Because there was only one like him. But they needed somebody like that. That energy, that, that love, that passion for life, that passion for, for their neighbor. This church needs you. This church needs a you here. With all your personality, all of your character. And yes, we may have different personalities and characters, and we may butt heads and, and, and rough each other up sometimes. But notice, God's body here needs you. God loves you. So it's okay to love yourself. Listen, when I say love yourself, I'm not saying worship yourself. I'm not saying to exalt yourself. I'm saying it's okay to be you. God, God yes, when you die to self, God breathes his life of the Spirit into you, but he's creating the new you. He's reviving the dead parts of, the, of you to, to the, his life and his purposes and his will, his will for your life. He's going to use you as you. Matter of fact, your very Bible, the very Word of God itself, we've talked about this before, is 66 different books written by over 40 different people. And there's all kinds of different writing. There's poetry, there's songs, there's, there's historical writings, there's gospel narratives. God took every single one of these writers. He didn't, his spirit didn't come into them and make them into a robot and take control of their planet and write it for them. God's Spirit came to him and whispered to him and said, write this for me. With the best of your ability, with all you know to do, trust what I'm telling you and write it down. That's why when we read the book of Revelation, it's so hard for us to figure out because it's literally a vision that John is having. And he's writing it down based upon his understanding and his vocabulary. God takes ordinary people and transports them into my into incredible works of His grace. God did not make a mistake when He made you. He loves you. Taking time to rest for yourself is loving yourself. Now at the same time, another form of how this is loving yourself when you remember the Sabbath. It's telling us that if you want to be able to take a break and feel good about it, it's not be ashamed of, of slacking off and, 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 and taking a step back. That means for six days you need to work hard. That means for six days you need to work with the best of your abilities, with the best of your mind. You need to work, work for your employer, work for your family, work for your neighbor as if you are working for God. And that when you come to that seventh day, you come for a time of break and rest. You don't have any regrets. You don't have to look back and say, you know what, I wish I had done that this differently. All right, I worked harder that day. I wish I hadn't wasted that time in that moment there. God loves you. He gave you the Sabbath for that reason, to help you love yourself and to recover and be able to do the work of His kingdom. Also for you to spend with Him and worship Him. So we have the commandments that love God, we have the canon that tells us to you know, love your neighbor as yourself. But these last commandments, these are the love other commandments. And I want you to know something. And these ten commandments, these ten expectations from God to us, three of them are about loving God. One of them is kind of 
kind of about loving God and about you know taking care of ourselves. And then the rest of them, the remaining six commandments are all about one, loving others. Because that is the hard part of our existence. He tells us, honor your, your father and your mother. It's important for us to remember the generation that has gone before us. It has faced battles that we have never fought. Overcame things that we didn't over have to overcome because they did. It's important to be respectful of that. And yes, they're going to pass on their faith in the same God to us. Knowing that we are going to face battles, we're going to face times that they never faced, never dreamed of facing, and wouldn't know how to face. We need their faith in our lives to face these new battles, these new things that we're going to come up against. See, there's so much going on in our country, in our church right now. There is, it, it, we talk about this generational war that's raging. This should be silly. Because, I, let me tell you this, every generation has to figure out how to follow God for themselves. It doesn't matter how godly and righteous the generation before them was. When the new generation comes up and takes their place of leadership, takes on the mantle to carry on the work of the kingdom, they have to make a decision on how to do that themselves. And the way that we honor our parents, the faith of the saints that have gone before us, is to remain in the faith. To trust the same God that they trusted in. To love the same God. To love others the same way they did. As you face new challenges and new roadways in life. The faith hat doesn't change. It's the corruption sent around us and the presentation it gives around us. We need their faith to get through these new things. Honor your father and your mother. Then he tells us, you should, you should not murder. He's, God's telling us, you should value human life. It's something to be treasured. It's something to not be taken for granted or taken lightly. He tells us, you should not commit adultery. He's saying, sex is for marriage. If it's, not, if it's outside of marriage, then God's not okay with it. He tells us, don't steal. Meaning, if it's not yours, don't take it. He tells us, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. He's saying, don't go around spreading rumors and gossips to try and destroy their reputation and their image of the community. If they really are bad and you know that, you know you still don't need to do that. This is, that's not an excuse for you to go in and spread gossip and slander about them. If they really are who you think they are, and really the person that their lifestyle is indicating, then guess what? Their sins will find them out on their own. God will pull that hurt back. Or you will put you in a position where you can talk to somebody who can actually do something. Don't lie. Then the last command says, you shall not covet. covet. And it talks about your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his, his servants, his ox or his donkey. This, this is 
where it's really interesting. Because really, up until this point, these other commandments are based on action and things that you physically do and can see. This idea of covenant goes to a completely different space. It goes to the place of your mind and your thoughts. It's this attitude when you look at what something someone else had, and you say, you know what, I deserve that. I worked so hard, I deserve this. You know, I've, been, I've been working towards ordination since I was 16 years old. I have t- I, I, I'm at a point where I have three classes left, and I'm so excited. I love to learn, but I hate school. <laughs> I am so close. And when I get these two classes done, I can, you know, the temptation can be I can walk into the district office with Dr. Powell and basically say, you know what, Dr. Powell, you know, I've worked so hard and so long, I deserve to be ordained now. That's not how it works. <laughs> it's a privilege, not a right. God's telling us, don't look what your neighbor has and say, I deserve what they have because that is an, that is an attitude of coveting. Don't, go in, don't look at what your neighbor has and say to yourself, why do they have that but I don't? That's coveting. What I really find fascinating about this, this, these thoughts that control our heart and minds, this covet, this idea of coveting is sin. Isn't this really where all the other sins begin? Think about the God without an Eve. They wanted to be like God. They coveted to be like God. And the evil one pounced on that. When the temptation came, they prayed prayer to it. Coveting involves thoughts and attitudes. So our minds are even to belong and worship the Word of God at all times. So these, these Ten Commandments, these are, these are God's expectations for us. We, we never have to wonder what they are. Uh, and His will is for us to obey them. Right? His will is for us to obey them all the time. And our obedience to these expectations demonstrate to God our love for Him. And when we, when we live in obedience to God, when demonstrating our love to Him, that the love that our, that in our hearts for Him is going to naturally overspill from our, our life dedicated to Him, and it's going to impact the world around us in a positive way. If we truly love God, then we will be a benefit to our community and those around us. You don't believe me? I... I know some of you missed that Voice of the Martyrs thing on Friday. Uh, and if you did, that's okay. If you go into the church prayer chain, there's a link there you can click. And you can go back and you can watch that. Uh, or check your email. I'll send you that link too. But there were stories. These guys, they were, they were in these what seemed God-forsaken places. And they could have said, you know what, God, my love for you got me here. And it, look, I'm in prison. I've been beaten up. I'm chained away. But one of them, after being brought in to be beaten over and over again, one day he's brought in and he says, you want to be your friend to the guy that's there to beat him. 
I love Jesus, and Jesus tells me, I'm, I'm going to love you today, and you're gonna be, we're going to be friends. That changed that guard's life. In one instance, he was there to beat that guy up because he followed Jesus, and, 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 and this, this other guy who, who loved Jesus was in jail because of Jesus. And that one moment, look at this chapter, said, today we're going to be friends. And it completely wrecked that guy's world. That was a benefit to his life. We as believers, we are a benefit to the world around us when we love God with obedience to Him. And we live a life that overflows the love of God. It will transform communities. It will turn the world upside down. We'll look at things like food pantries and think, you know what, you know what, I, I, maybe I can't go out and take food to everybody in this community by myself, but we have a food pantry. If I just bring food in and it gets to them, then I am helping somebody. Maybe, maybe my one or two jars of meat, it may not feed 20 people, but what if it gives one kid a couple sandwiches for a week? That's the difference of the love of Christ in our hearts and our lives. So God's expectation, that's what these Ten Commandments are. They're how we demonstrate our love to God. There's one problem, though. Just because something is expected of you does not mean you will meet those expectations. Just like my teachers expected me to be a good student and turn my all my homework in on time, I had a choice to meet that expectation. And I did not. Just because there are laws does not mean people have to follow those laws. People have a choice to live up to expectation and whether they will follow expectations or laws or not. And in our case as humans, God's law, when we look at it, it reveals our complete ineptness. His Ten Commandments, His Ten Expectations for us are really simple and easy to understand. But then we got to go put them in practice in this broken, fallen world. That's when we discover that there is something wrong with us. No matter how hard we try to follow all the same commandments, it just seems like we can't do it. We always come up short in the end. We read a story in the Bible of a rich young ruler. And even then, he follows all ten commandments. And he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I follow all ten commandments. Don't I get eternal life now? You recognize, though, by his statement to Jesus, he, he reveals that he's breaking the tenth commandment. He's looking at God saying, I am owed this trip to heaven because I have been good and followed all of your laws. You owe this to me. The law of God reveals how completely broken and messed up we as human beings really are. And so when we realize how broken and messed up we really are, we think to ourselves, well, either, well one, it must be, it can't be us, we can't be the problem. How, how can God who loves us expect us to keep up this impossible system of laws that he has? Therefore, maybe if we just change them, maybe if we lower the expectations and the standards, maybe then we'll be good enough. But see, even then, we, we, we'll try that for a while. But then we can't even keep our own laws. So we have to lower them again, and we have to keep lowering them over and over again until at some point we realize that we're just broken. And our laws aren't fixing anything. Because the real problem isn't the laws, it's the hearts and the minds of people. 
then Ephesus is us. We are the broken. And the law of God, his expectations for us reveal to us how broken we really are. God's expectations for us, for us that with these with these ten commands is for us to obey all of them. But because of our brokenness, we can't. And to fail to live up to God's expectations is sin. Does this mean that the law is bad? Then, I mean, is the law bad? Is the law bad? God bad? Because all it does is reveal how broken and messed up we are. And if so, if God loves us, why would he give us this? Paul answers that for us in Romans chapter 7. He says, absolutely not. Certainly, I would, have, would not have known sin except through the law. The law reveals God's expectations for us and reveals to us what sin is when we fail to live up to his expectations. We know now when we have done wrong with God. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to question God. God, did I do something wrong? If our actions or behavior goes against God's law, his expectations for us, then the answer is yes. The law is not a problem. It tells us, that, it tells us what we should be, revealing the way we really, that it reveals the way we really are. We are sinners incapable of loving God, ourselves, or others. Charles Henry McIntosh wrote this. He said, The law demands strength from one that has none. And it curses them if they cannot display it. But see, the story of God's word to us, the God's expectations, and God's ways, does not end there, the, the, the Ten Commandments. It doesn't stop here. While the law tells us what God's expectations are, while it reveals our ineptness, there's another part of the story that's, as McIntosh continues, he says, The gospel gives strength. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives strength to one that has none. And it blesses him in ex exhibition of it. In other words, the law reveals God's expectations for us. Never again we have to wonder what God expects of us. And while it reveals our ineptness, while it reveals that we're sinners, and while we know that, that death is the inevitable result of sin, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us this. It tells us that Jesus died for our sin. All the times we have fallen short of God's expectations. Every time we didn't live up to it. Jesus died the death we were supposed to die for those sins. Jesus died so we could meet God's expectations. He died in your place for your failure. And, he, and, 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 and in place of, of your broken life and your broken choices, he died for you. He looks and he says, I love you. And I have grace that can change your life. I have grace that can purge that inclination of your heart and mind that's been toward evil, that's been toward broken. I can take that away and give you my heart. And my heart will transform your mind. So you can live different than the patterns that you've always lived by. So you, I have fulfilled the expectations of God where you never could. 
Faith in Jesus. Gains you access to this grace that's already available. And a lot of us, you don't know this, but God's grace, even though you've rejected, even though you've denied it your entire life, even though you may be looking at these laws and saying, that's ridiculous, Pastor. Even though you might be thinking, like, no, no, you know, I just don't believe that, this stuff. Even right now in your unbelief, in your doubt, in your, in your, in your refusal to accept truth, God's grace surrounds you. All the times you've committed this, you know, sin of stealing or being disloyal to a business partner, God's grace has protected you from the consequences of your own actions. All the time that you've talked behind your friend's back and, and run your mouth and you shouldn't have, God's grace has protected you from the ramification of, of those gossip sessions. God drops those breadcrumbs of grace to point you to this, His Son, Jesus Christ. Because he loves you, he says, I have a better way. You can't meet these expectations on your own, but by my death, I have met them for you. We're going to make a closing song this morning. Today, you don't have to wonder what God's expectations of you are. He knows that, 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 that you cannot and you have not been able to live up to his commandments. You've tried over and over again. A thousand times you failed. But Jesus is here to tell you this morning that the debt of your sin has already been paid. That penalty that, that was required, that, that death was that, that is the inevitable result of sin. Jesus has already paid it for you. And this morning, if you place your faith in Him, you don't have to wonder anymore. And yes, God's standard is really high. It's holy. It's perfect. But where you have fallen short, Jesus has died for you to fill that gap. To make up the difference. And not only that, to come and fill your heart to, create, to make you into the person that God's called you to be. So as we sing this song, if you're here this morning and you need to talk to God, maybe you've not, never given your life to Jesus. And this morning, come up here and confess your sins. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've been coming to church for a long time, but you've never come up, you've never made that decision. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast. If you live in or near the Greensburg, Kentucky area or find yourself visiting our community on a Sunday morning, please join us at 1030 a.m. Central Time at Greensburg Church of Nazarene, located at 31 Bluebird Lane.